Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, all right. Let's pray before we dive into chapter 3 here. Lord, thank you so much. Just a new day. The sun's out, better weather. Uh, what a gift. We really want to learn today. There's, uh, there's things in the book of 1 John that are so relevant, even though they're thousands of years later, to our life, to life in a local church, to discerning the spirit of the age. And, uh, and we want to be wise, and we want to be faithful, and we just ask for your help. Uh, help me, help us. Let's grow today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this book's fascinating. We're, we've been in 1 John now for, this will be the third week. Uh, if you've ever read 1 John, it can be really elusive what's going on. Like, really elusive. If you haven't, then I'm going to clarify the whole thing today. All right? First of all, <clears throat> this community is in the midst of enormous controversy. Uh, a heretical teaching has taken root, and it has started to divide the community. I'll find the right place to hold this. Um, in the first part of this uh, teaching, is it's a new perspective on Jesus. Uh, let's look at a couple of verses. So 2 John 7, it says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And then in our book, 1 John uh, chapter 2.22, it says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. And also in 1 John, it says, This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now, why would that be convincing? You know what I mean? Like, we're, uh, if you're familiar with the context, we're... 60 years post-Jesus, John's the last living apostle. Uh, this teaching has been around. He's teaching from Ephesus. Like this, there's some familiarity here. But this has actually been pretty convincing because there's been new revelation. There is a group of teachers within these communities that are claiming God has spoken a new word to us. We understand something clearer that... The previous generation didn't. And so in John, 1 John 4, which I don't know if you're going to talk about next week, but I'm going to steal a little nugget. Um, it says, test the spirits. And that's where our last verse came from. Any spirit that says Jesus didn't come from the flesh is not of God. But you could see if there was this new authority saying, hey, we have a fresh word from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that could even counter the last living apostle, right, John? And it was convincing. And the third thing that happens, so we got a new Jesus, we got new revelation, is redefining morality, okay? If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, it says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Now, those are pretty obscure things to have to correct a community about. 
But what it tells us is these teachers had been saying no sin nature, no active sins. Now, how is that possible? That doesn't really make sense, right? John's opponents in this book had a belief, and it was a belief that kind of united with the spirit of the age, uh, something that just made sense about spiritual matters in that culture. And uh, we know a lot about it. We know a lot about it because it was the big controversy of the second century, and it was about this, this uh, school of thought called Gnosticism. You don't, we don't need to go that far into it. You need to know one like principle. The principle is this. The flesh was thought as un, in, uh, so corrupt, unredeemable. The material world was thought of as completely evil and tarnished. And then there was the spiritual matters that were pure. And the, the idea of these teachers was that the, the corruptions of the flesh couldn't touch the spirit. And so we get this idea uh, that um, there was no sin nature. It was uncorruptible. And you can see this is weird and this is nothing that we would believe and nothing that's in our cultural waters. But this was the spirit of the age. This is what was readily believed in that culture. And so when you put a Jesus version on it, it was very convincing. And it scared the pain, well, the, out of these people. It scared them. It scared this church. Because all of a sudden, there is a very convincing version of an alternate Christianity. And people are leaving the church. And there is huge divisions in the church. And their very core foundation of their faith is shook. Now, as I mentioned, these things wouldn't be that convincing in our age. But in our age, the, the spirit of the age is different, right? It involves what is true for you is true for you, right? And uh, ideas like affirm everything, inclusiveness. There's no absolutes. And there is a version of Christianity that does have a new perspective on Jesus, who, is, who, who does not judge sin, who, who is only love. There is a version that is soft in morality and, and strong in inclusiveness and tolerance. It's interesting, and this is like the transcendent principle, and this is how this book is still relevant to us today. A new Jesus, new revelation, Redefined morality and a very confused and shaken church. And one of the biggest issues in this book is people were confused about their salvation. The very core belief. So in 1 John 5.13 it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. It's not a guessing game. You can actually know that. You can have confidence in that. In fact, that confidence is pretty important to actually uh, thriving in your faith. Human beings are most alive, joy-filled, uh, free when they feel safe and secure. You can see it in kids all the time, right? You put them in a safe environment where they feel protected and the adults are, are mature and they thrive and they joy and the giggles and the play, right? 
It's human nature. Feeling secure before God is the foundation of feeling safe. And if you know, if you know I'm saved, I'm loved, I'm sealed, I'm secure, you do live freer. It's liberating. And that's what's gotten stolen from this church. And so they're shaken. They're afraid. Let's dive into chapter 3 because this is at least one, one chapter of him trying to, to minister to that. John's ministering to this shaken heart, to a heart that is, is now unsettled before God. So here we go. 1 John 3, 1 through 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. So he goes straight to their identity and their fear. Like, remember who you are. You are God's very kids. Now, <clears throat> it's a great metaphor. It, it's a reality, but it's a great metaphor. If you've ever been a parent, like, you know the place kids have in your life. There comes a point where their joy is what you enjoy. Their flourishing is what you celebrate. And, and just think for a second, like that is how God looks at his kids. Your joy, your flourishing, your enduring trial, your growth, that is what, that's what this means. When you are at your happiest, that's joy to him. We are his kids. We are his kids. One of my favorite verses that talks about this is in Romans chapter 8, let's read it, verses 14 through 16. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and that by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And what's amazing here is the juxtaposition, you know. Uh, God doesn't want you, when you close your eyes and, and relate to him, to see it as a master servant. That's not what he prefers. Now, is it true? Like, is it true? Is he a king? He is a king. Is he the Lord? He is the Lord. But on a, uh, I guess, a more enlightened level, he wants you to understand that you're his kid. And to relate, not like a fear-based, uh, but like a father. And it's a beautiful picture. A lot of commentators will say this, this term, Abba, Father, <clears throat> is similar to what a toddler would call their, their dad. Right? It's a very intimate term. It's weird. But did you know God loves you like that? That that's the relationship he wants to have with you? You should think about that. It's powerful. It's powerful, the, the possessive, loving, uh, father love of God. Now, John is going to take us to something else. He's going to attempt to talk about this redefined morality 
also in chapter 3. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. It reads like this. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know he appeared that he might take away sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor anyone who does not love their brother and sister. In a scenario with a shooken church, John is going to be crystal clear. There is not a new morality. It hasn't shifted. The law, that, that if you break, if you sin, it is lawless. There's no redefinition of it. Very relevant. Very relevant because it's easy to be led astray. It's easy to be led astray in our generation. Where there, the, the, the culture has some pretty strong convictions about what's right and wrong. And they don't always align with scripture. I was reading this article uh, from the Atlantic. It said, the understanding... America's moral divides. And obviously it's pretty divided, and uh, it was kind of a commentary of, of some people writing papers about, you know, the left and the right and, and the tensions throughout the last decade or so. But it was describing morality, and, and when it described it, it was morality is what one tribe uses to feel superior to its adversary. And some of the quotes from this article, uh, in this world, different gets coded as immoral. And moral superiority becomes a mechanism to preserve an advantage. Morality becomes a justification that fuels these broad divides between groups, political, religious, racial, and even nations. And what was fascinating about reading it is it was like there is no such thing as real morality. It's a tactic. It's what one group just uses to ignite its base against another. But that's not true. Like, morality has been hardwired into the universe because it's reflective of God's nature. Some things are always wrong. Some things are always right. He defines what's right, wrong, sin, air, light, dark, and every, every age has, has these, a spirit to it that wants to shift it, to redefine it. Think about the Garden of Eden. As early as the Garden of Eden, the serpent says to Eve, are you sure that's what God said? You know, there, there, there was one instruction, are you sure? Let's redefine that. Maybe not. Maybe there's more to this. And every generation faces the same thing. 
we go back to our passage, uh, that's not the only lesson there. Our passage in chapter 3 is also saying that those who are born of God uh, have a fundamental change inside of them. Right, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because sin, because God's sin remains, sorry, God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. In verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, when I came to Christ, probably 20 years ago, I was 21, um, I remember the night I gave my life to Christ, and I remember the morning after. And there were so many things I didn't know about being a Christian, so many things about the scriptures I didn't know, but I remember on day one telling myself, I know I have to live right now. Like there was so much gratitude for what God had done. You don't know every moral decision you're going to make, but like there was a fundamental heart shift that just said, no, like I got to live right. And then this is kind of reflective of what he's, he's talking about. That there is a fundamental shift. When God's seed is in you, when the Holy Spirit comes, there is a shift. It's not moral perfection, but there is a desire and a general direction shift. And I think that's what John's talking about here. We know for sure he's not trying to scare these Christians more by telling them they have to live perfect. We know that. If you remember chapter 1, he says, uh, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word is not in us. He knows we're going to sin. He follows that verse up and says, if we confess our sins, we are fa- he, uh, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all, all unrighteousness. So we know this isn't a tactic to scare them worse in their shaken state. It's to give them confidence that, no, that spirit that has worked in you, that's real. That's real. In this new morality, that's not real. Sin still counts. The clarity to this community is a gift. Right? It is a gift to them. So there's one more application I want to go in here. In verses 19 through 22, let's look at this. It says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. What do we do when our hearts condemn us? He's actually talking about it like this, that there's you, there's God, and then your heart sometimes will deem you guilty. And what do you do? This is a crazy insight, because if you think about this community, <clears throat> maybe some of them did believe these errors. Maybe some of them were convinced. Maybe they heard the revelation and they thought, wow, like God is doing something new. Maybe they even loosened their morals because they were convinced these guys are right and this doesn't matter. The condemning reality of coming back to terms with like, oh my God, we were wrong. 
It's a really dangerous thing. I, there was a young man, I used to do youth ministry. There was a young man who his sophomore year, he, he gave a little Bible teaching to a group of middle school kids. And uh, he was a great kid. But he walked away and his heart said, you're a phony. Like you, there was something inauthentic. Just one message, you're a phony. It was about six years later it took him to reconcile with that message, that heart condemnation. I saw him every couple years, and you could tell the seed was still in him. He still cared. He still knew. But that one condemnation message of his heart, like it won. It swept over his entire life for six years. We're not immune to this. You know, especially like the good kids. If you grew up the good kid, the people pleaser, the perfectionist, right? Very susceptible to a heart that condemns, a strong conscience that, that, that can overwhelm. Now, if you make a mistake, if, if you indulge in what you shouldn't, there's a pretty predictable pattern of hiding, disappearing, running, alienating yourself from strong Christian influences like that happens all the time. This is for you. This is for you. That, you know, the apostle knows this happens, that your heart can condemn. And what does he say? He says that God is greater and he knows everything. And this really is an encouragement that God's mercy is greater than your heart's condemnation. God's mercy is that powerful. He knows. It's tricky, right? Like, uh, when you have this, I have one of these conscience. Never want to do anything wrong. Actually try to live my life in a way to dodge uh, being the target of anybody's, uh, you know, frustration or whatever. But, like, there's mercy for you if that's you. And I would imagine today there are people who are carrying heavy hearts. Things they've done. And if you carry a heavy heart long enough, things start to numb. Uh, your emotional kind of tone evens out. You kind of walk through. And, like, listen, there is mercy for you. There is real life and liberation and mercy for you. God's mercy is greater than your heart's judgment. So, so what I want to do to wrap up is I just want you to think about this, okay? This is a different day we're, we're looking into. It's a different culture. It's different issues. But what's same is the issues. The issues translate. A new Jesus. Man, that's everywhere. We don't talk about heresy. We don't talk about stuff like that in this culture. That's thought. In a morally relative culture, that's, that seems weird. But there is a pretend Jesus who does not judge who is only affirming, okay? Jesus gave his life because he thought sin was real and that salvation, this was the only way. There's a different morality. Pay attention to what people get enraged about in our society, and it will teach you, no, there is sacred ground that, that 
that the world has. And we live in this culture too, so those things are very convincing. They're natural. But every generation has a spirit of the age that takes, takes Christianity and merges it with something different to make it more palatable. It happened in John's generation, and it's part of ours as well. And really, like, it's for us to be discerning and faithful. You know, <clears throat> I bet if you asked your parents if they were around uh, and grew up or were Christians or your grandparents or their grandparents, if they would say the issue of the day, it would change. But, but this pattern would be the same. Whatever the spirit of the age was, it got merged with Jesus so there was a more palatable version. But it's for us to be faithful. It's for us to discern. And that's what I want to leave us with. Let's pray. Lord, um, give us clarity. Help us uh, stand strong. If our hearts condemn us, help us bring that to you and be cleansed. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Cleansing. I pray that for some of us. I pray for clarity for others. I pray that um, if any of us are in the spot where, uh, where the gift of the Holy Spirit hasn't start to renovate our lives, I pray we would... We would face that. That that is a gift from God. That is something we all need. That is, that is the engine and the life and the vigor of this life. And there is also this, uh, this, this air that, that becoming a Christian doesn't renovate anything. It's just a belief, and that's not true. Holy Spirit, work on us. Grow us. Give us discernment and clarity. We love you, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.